Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., And I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Let's Be Real podcast. As always, I am your host, Sammy J, and I hope your week is going well. I am so glad that you are here because this is probably one of my favorite episodes we've ever put out because I got to chat with the one and only former special assistant to President Obama and also served as director of public engagement for then Vice President Biden, Carrie Twig. She is now also the founder of one of the most incredible production companies, Culture House. And we talk about everything from politics to entertainment and everything in between. I'm going to let you guys get right into this episode, but I hope you love it as much as I do. Harry, thank you so much for taking the time to come on my podcast. I look up to you so much and not just everything you've like accomplished and created, but also the types of stories you're telling and the impact. It's just so amazing. Ah, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. There's so many things I want to get into. I want to start with how you got into politics because I grew up in New York. My mom always listened to the news, so it was just kind of in my brain. Was it just something that you came about or was it ingrained in your family? It wasn't ingrained in my family. I have a very, my dad is, Uh, steadfastly refused to become a citizen. Um, He was born and raised in Barbados. And this whole notion that when you become a citizen of the U.S., you have to say that you forsake any other allegiance to any other country. He's like, I can't do that. Yeah. Um, So he's he's not an American citizen. He does follow politics. He is aware of it. But I didn't grow up in a political family. And then my Mm -hmm. mother's side of the family is like kind of very waspy and we don't talk about money or, you know, politics. 
And so you landed yourself in a very interesting place. I, I did. <laughs> but it's interesting because my parents are political, even if they're not like politically active. And so my mom is a social worker. My dad is a black immigrant. <laughs> like, my mom's a social worker, too. Amazing. I don't think I knew that. It's so helpful when you have anxiety attacks. <laughs> totally. <laughs> really helpful. I mean, my mom's such a G. Um, but what actually happened was when I was about 11 or 12, I asked my mom what government is, and she told me it's old white men sitting in a room deciding how free you are. Oh. Which is still the most <laughs> succinct and accurate definition I've ever heard. Yep. And I remember we were just driving down the street in the car. Just so casually. Yeah. And she was like, yeah, she just rattled this off. And I was like, what are you saying Just like, me? life path changed now. Totally. <laughs> she, in that moment, changed the trajectory of my life. Because at that point, I would probably would have been in, like, fifth, sixth grade. And everything you had been taught up to that point was like, this is the freest country in the world. It is the most equal country Use in the your world. Voice. It's, I have a dream. Right. Like all these things. And that just really brought <laughs> home that the, the kind of contradiction that I think so many people understand about America as they age or as they go into the adult world. They're like, oh, we're kind of full of it. Mm-hmm. Um but I kind of got introduced to that notion really early. And then I decided I was going to be one of those people in that room um, because no one, no one's making decisions without me. Um, and, and that's what I did. I feel like politics and being in politics, it's a whole other universe. And then, you know, you go into the White House and you're a special assistant for Obama. And you run, just want to make sure I get this right, director of public engagement for under Biden. That's a lot of work. And I'm so curious, what is what was like a day in your life then? You know, it was really fascinating because the White House is this incredibly particular place um, and kind of peculiar place in that it's this tiny campus. Like the White House is actually very small. And you walk up and it, and you see the, you know, you get off the bus or whatever. If I, sometimes I drove. Sometimes I took the bus. And you see the iconic building and you walk up and there's people protesting outside or there's there's always action, yeah. right? News, you know, news cameras and correspondence. There's always something happening around the White House. And then you walk in and, it, and you have this hallowed experience. You go through the gates and then you're still just at your job and you're just sort of like, if Debbie says one thing <laughs> to me today, like, I'm just, I'm going to flip my desk. You know, like you you still have the like petty annoyances yeah. of your daily job. And at the White House, so many of the, you know, 2,000 people that work there are political appointees that come in and serve at the pleasure of the president. And we are all people who want to change society, but also who are type A, who love to be the smartest person in the room, who are very mission-driven, who, like, think they're the best and the brightest. How does that work when so many people are all so brilliant in one room? Like, how do you get things done? It, it's a great question. <laughs> it's, a, it's a question worth asking. <laughs> yeah. You know? And I think it's, you know, it can be both the greatest thing in the world and it can also be, uh, you know, like many, like many uh, things, our best qualities are often sometimes our worst qualities. Yep. yep. So um, so that existed. But, you know, it was an extraordinary privilege. And I think for me, every time other I got to bring people into the White House and see it through their eyes, it was this incredibly kind of transcendent and magical moment where people who just couldn't believe the White House would ever be that way, could ever be filled with, you know, young, vibrant just kids trying to figure it out, figure doing out the their world. best, all of these things. And they were people were just so proud of us, you know. And I think we were all kind of tired and slowly crawling to an early grave. But 
because you're it's just it's rigorous right you're just working how many hours did you work a day would you say 12 to 14 six seven days a week for years and even when you are not physically there it's just alive in your consciousness yeah how do you compartmentalize that i'm sure you don't you know like if i saw a blackberry today with like the blinking red light my (laughs) eye might start twitching (laughs) just like yeah pavlov response well you know what it's so good that blackberry doesn't exist anymore you know they discontinued so you don't have to worry about that never again yeah but um yeah it was i mean it was extraordinary but also i'm it's also a job yeah it is you know what was the difference in the managerial styles between Obama and Biden? Was there a difference in how they uh, delegated work or how they communicated with you? This is fascinating. You know, no one's ever asked me this question before. I yeah. feel like it's a go-to. No. people. I mean, people ask me about their personalities, but... Um, I want to know about how... It, yeah. They're supposed to run the country. I want to know how they yeah. run it in office. I will say... This is so. This is one of those things. I still have a little bit of Stockholm syndrome from the White House of like, can I talk about it outside mm. of it? But like, no one cares what you know. We're in twenty twenty two. Exactly. You know. But I understand that. It's yeah. When you, it's so involved and it's so much of your life for so long, how do you compartmentalize yeah. it and kind of separate it? And you get so fiercely loyal to them yeah. that you just don't want to say anything that might be taken the wrong way yeah. or come off. But as, they're people too, and I exactly. think we need to realize that exactly. So I, my my I would say yes. that President Obama was far more of a true executive personality wise, mm. whereas President Biden. Don't forget, President Biden served for like forty years in the Senate. Like yes. he's such a legislator. He's so such a decision by committee. He's such a legislator. He wants everyone's involvement. When Le- he's a making, collaborator. He is, um, and he is much more kind of willing and interested in kind of 30 people's opinion Mm. and synthesizing from that place and trying to build consensus and find something that works for as many people as possible. Whereas President Obama was absolutely uh, interested in the opinions of experts and science and his advisors and looking at a problem from as many potential angles as he could. But I think he was much more comfortable Mm. going alone when he when he uh, felt that was the right thing to do. And again, these are like me projecting into no, both their personality and their psyche. Hey, it's your but experience. Yeah, um, I think I, 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 I'd have a hard time imagining there would be many people who would disagree with me on that. Uh, I feel like that's a very fair assessment just from an outside perspective because there was a lot of decisions that Obama had to make that were so, so, carried so much weight and if you have 30 people's opinions and that, how do you make the decision? That's something that I don't know how you would have to do. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I think we all have our own unique brain chemistry and there's other, there are, we all have our own unique path to getting to a point where we're poised and ready to make a decision. Mm -hmm. And for some people, having a lot of opinions actually makes it more difficult. And for some people, having more, the more opinions they hear, the more they've gut checked their own position. So I I don't know. I think it's six and a half dozen. I don't think one way is inherently better than the other. I think what's important is that we as individuals, whether you're the president or not, 
understand your own decision-making process and understand what works best for you and then apply that to as many situations as you can. And how you learn best because everyone learns so exactly. differently. And I feel like that goes into the whole thing, a whole other topic with the education system where we're taught one way when it's, we all learn so many different ways. Exactly. <laughs> like standardized tests come up. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, we're just, we're doing so many things wrong. It's amazing. <laughs> I know. It's, it, it's, it's one of those things. I don't know if you know this, but like my life passion is to want to fix the education system because I've grown up with learning disabilities my entire life and I am so grateful to having been able to go to a special ed school and have tutors when that's just not the case for mm. so many people and it's just a conversation that's unfortunately not being had when yeah. it affects so one, one in five kids and that's just people that are diagnosed with learning differences. I mean that's amazing and and it is one of my my poor friends um have to hear me rant about kind of a, a lot and unfortunately repetitively but all the time, I'm just – something happens that I am just incensed about what I learned in school. Like, I can write cursive and I can read analog clocks, but I was 30 before I could appropriately identify my feelings, <laughs> let alone communicate them. And I'm just like, what did you teach me? No, like, I want to I know, like, how to balance a check, how to do, like, you basic know? things that yeah. I feel like – yeah. There's no, just, I'm just like, plot missing. Why did no one teach me like how to make friends or like how to be a good friend or how do you actually have relations? Like so many things about like being a human being, literally, that are really deeply necessary. Um, but no, it's all right. I know how to do. You know, I know what the capital of the state I've never been to is. <laughs> so that's cool. It's <laughs> something that I think just seeing how much we've, how far we come and how far we haven't come in our country in the past seven years and kind of taking a moment to reflect was being in the White House did that make you believe more in democracy or did it make you doubt it more because I feel like we've been through a lot in the past couple of years and that's put in put into question and I I want to get your thoughts on that you ask really good questions oh, thank you very much um that's that's fascinating I think that it made wow this is a great question I think that it um it made me recognize democracy as being the miracle that it actually is. Mm. Like it's, it's literally just people sitting in a room trying their best. And it is a miracle. It needs to it be is, nurtured, it too. It has made it this far. Yeah. yeah. Um, it is hard. It is a human enterprise. And human beings are going to human. With one thing we know. Human beings are going to human. Humans are going to human. And it is amazing we have endured um, as long as we actually have. And so I think what it made me uh, uh, was really compassionate for how hard it is to try and do the right thing and come up with a solution. No problem that gets to the White House is easily solvable, if solvable at all, right? Otherwise, it would have been solved way before it makes it to Washington. Yeah. And the sheer kind of scale of the world and how complex that it is, and not even just the world, this country. I mean, this is the third most populous country in the world. We have one of the most diverse populations you can possibly imagine. Our regional differences, our class differences. I mean, it's just governing. America is like kind of ungovernable. <laughs> Truly. And the fact that it's been governed so consistently for the duration of its um, of its history is, is an extraordinary thing. Do you have hope for the future of our country? 
I sort of have to have hope. I know. Otherwise, I can't get out of bed. That's so fair. You know, um, I don't, I am, I'm a big believer that America is going to feel and be very different and should be. It actually desperately needs to change. This country does not work in really fundamental ways. It's just broken. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the economy does not, it just doesn't work. Um, so our education system, all of these major markers that, that affect so much of our future too, truly, and that determine the health of a society are not working at nearly the, like there, there's a massive gap in our, like we're, we're one thing that America really is probably the best in the world at is perpetuating delusions. <laughs> so oh, like, and, and the internet is just so great for that. You yeah. know, it really helps. And we just love to be delusional about how good we are at things. Like, we're just really not doing very well <laughs> on so many key factors. And It's like we're that ant that says they're fine and they're doing great when you know they're just not doing great. <laughs> you know, you're just like, but you're crying. But, like, but, <laughs> but, like, I'm, but I'm looking but you're at you. But shaking right now. <laughs> you, you know? You're saying you're okay, but... Mm. Hmm. Um, <laughs> You know, like when you compare experiences around education, when the cost of education, when you when you and the outcomes of that education, when you experience like what it is to raise a family, what it means to have a job, what it means to have benefits, what it means to have a civic environment that is responsive and adaptable to the changing needs of a population, when you look at the way that we are responding to demographic change, um, America doesn't like change. Well, the human beings don't know humans oh, like change. That's so fair, including you know? myself. You're right. <laughs> I'm not. I mean, despite the fact that we are all the most inconsistent animals ever. Like, I was a different person yesterday, and it's <laughs> like you catch me, and the breeze is coming from a different direction, and the moon is it in all a separate depends phase, on my outfit. And like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, who is she today? Um, and yet, if anyone else changes, God <laughs> help us. So. You know, so a long way of saying I think I have to have hope, but, I mean, I I try and be as clear-eyed as I possibly can. And I think this this notion of America as the city on the hill, as the kind of best, freest country in the world is is a farce. It could still be made true, but we would have to make some pretty substantive and radical and quick decisions. We, we would, and I've been feeling very helpless the past couple of years, like many, and I think something that it's I've been asking myself is, what can I do? What can I do from home? Because there's so many things to do, it can be overwhelming to start. So for someone in college or in high school that wants to start getting involved and educating themselves and being an activist, do you have any advice on how to, how to just take two steps forward and get started on that process? I mean, first and foremost, like you can't fix something externally if it's not fixed internally, right? So when you're that age, focus on just being who you want to be. The freer you are, the freer the person next to you is. Mm -hmm. And so if you can find a way to do that without doing it at the expense of someone else, if you can just be a person who is community-oriented, who is thoughtful and engaged in the world around you, then that's a phenomenal place to start. I think also... I talk (laughs) – I often compare politics for most people um, to NASCAR for me, Mm. which is NASCAR is like the second biggest sport in the country, (laughs) I think. It's like a multi-billion dollar enterprise. Thousands and thousands of people go to these rallies or the the races. 
you know, it's they're on billboards or magazines, it's on TV, it's in the newspaper, it's everywhere, everywhere. And I can't tell you anything about it. Like I get the vague idea, like cars drive around they in, go a in a circle. circle. Yeah. <laughs> from what I understand, five hundred times. Which how is no one getting dizzy? I don't understand what's going on. But, like, can't name you a car, can't name you a driver. Yeah. I know, like, Indianapolis, like, Indy 500, like, I, right? President more than election, I know. Yeah. Right? And so it's, like, despite it being completely surrounded by – and I grew up in Ohio. So, mm-hmm. like, I grew up in some NASCAR, like, <laughs> world, you know, and still managed to avoid having any idea what it is. And so I think that's how most people are about politics, right? You're surrounded by it. And yet, we're able to kind of siphon it out of our worldview. And this is all pr- my my aversion to NASCAR is pre-algorithm, so I can't <laughs> even blame that. Like, I don't know what I was doing. I was just ignoring it, right? And, you know, people are often unaware of the fact that there's 500,000 elected officials in this country. I did not know that. Like, they're, they're, they're everywhere, right? They really are. They are governing the down to the block where you live, right? It's not just Congress people. It's not just people on the federal level. It's not just um, your state legislators and senators. It's it's your county commissioners and your clerk your of DA. courts and your DA and your sheriff. And and so I think the more you get involved in where and understand where you actually are mm. and what your place, even if it's temporary, right? Who look up who your representatives are? What? How many hungry kids are there in your neighborhood? Because I bet there's some, right? Like, what is the? Just takes. We have Google. We can what, if we can Google it, yeah. we can do it. Like, what are the rent laws in your? You know, how are your schools? If you're in high school, how is your school funded? Is your school funded by property taxes? Like, okay, what disparity is that creating between your suburb and the kids who grew up just happened to be born down the street? Um, so is that things. fair? Is that okay with you? If not, what does that mean, right? And I think figuring out who you are and figuring out where you are is the important first step. And, you know, you're doing your podcast. I'm now telling stories. I used to work in politics and government. There's, like, activism is a multifaceted endeavor and people – and it is best when people show up as their authentic selves. And I know that that's such an overused term, but but it's It's true. true. And, like, do whatever works. Bake cupcakes. You know, I don't love a crowd. She's she's not an extrovert, okay? In the same way. So I, I don't really go to protests. Like, that's not part of my activism journey. That's mm-hmm. not for me. That find that very stressful. I sleep for two days afterwards, and I'm like, good God, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> um, that said, I will call and harass any elected official. <laughs> Maybe not harass. Um, there, but there are so many public. ways to do it. Yeah. Um, I'll raise money. I'll, I will volunteer on campaigns. I've volunteered on all sorts of campaigns. I vote religiously. Um, I will, you know, harangue my friends and my family members to all vote. For, you know, like, So there's all sorts of ways to be involved and to be part of the struggle. And it's just about finding what works for you and what is sustainable for you. We have to take one quick break, but when we come back, I want to talk about your pivot from politics to entertainment, the impact you hope to make through storytelling, working with Oprah, and so much more. We'll be right back. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. 
We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. I love what you said about we have to be your best self. You have to find yourself first. When you were finding yourself what was what was that process like? How did you go about that? Do you have any advice? Because I'm on that journey now. <laughs> Boy, it's a journey. I, you know, I'm still finding myself. I feel like I'm a, I've been several different people over the course of my life. And I think there's always been a thread of me that's been consistent and the same. But it's, 
you know, I talk to friends of mine from 20 years ago and we tell stories. And I'm just like, oh, man, I forgot I like <laughs> that or I forgot I was that way or whatever, um, which I think is a good thing. We should all be trying on different personalities and different, you Try know. Try different looks. Yeah, feel it out. exactly. I got my know? nose pierced. Look at that. Go for it. You know, I had my nose pierced too. Not oh, my anymore, You know, uh, and... I think it's all – it's about being open um, to the possibility of change and to the fact that you don't have to ever be the same person. It is okay to be a different person. It is okay to see someone or meet someone and say, oh, I like that about you. I'm going to incorporate that into my personality. We get into this idea that our personalities are inherent and that they're fixed, and they're not. They are just – They evolve, like yes, us. <laughs> and they are just a response to some nonsense that happened when we were kids. Like my older sister is a visual artist. She's incredibly talented and has always been. So not only is she just artistically gifted, but she had plus five years on me motor skill-wise. And I realized that I was competing with her for like my little drawings and stuff in like second and third <laughs> grade. And she was always so much better. And so I, it made me feel inadequate as a little kid. And so I was like, oh, I'm not artistic. I'm not creative. I'm not doing that. That's my sister's thing. I'm going to go do something completely different because I don't want to be compared to my sister and I don't want to compete with her. And Plot so twist. I, I convinced myself at like seven, that I wasn't a creative, like who, and then I'm still living that life when I'm 28, right? I'm still living that life and thinking of not thinking of myself as a creative person because a seven-year-old, <laughs> like who has a moment when my who can barely tie her shoes because someone who can't tie her shoes. Yeah, we like, still live by that. You know? Yeah, is still running my life. That's in, that's what that's ridiculous. Um, and yet we all do that in yeah. so many ways. And it took me actually describing myself as not being a creative person in front of my sister, and my sister calling me out and being like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> Why don't you think you're creative? But, like, my seven-year-old self said it. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Right? <laughs> Just total nonsense. So, you know, I then got to take on this other personality and this explore this other side of myself. And I think that that evolution is really important. And then I think one thing that we don't say enough, and I certainly feel like I wasn't told enough, is that pain has a lot of information in it. And... No generation of human beings ever has found a way to live a pain-free life, and no generation ever will. And if they do, it's like the end, right? Because yeah. there's nothing then to evolve And toward. then you don't appreciate the good if you don't have exactly. the bad. And pain is terrible, and it sucks, and we, none of us should wallow in it. But if you can, just sit with it and try not to avoid it. And try to sit Feel with all it, the feels. you know, and try and sit with it for as long as you need to at least take the time to ask the question, like, what information is here? Anger has a lot of information in it. And I know for me, I didn't let myself be angry for years and years and years because it was not what I was conditioned to do, mm -hmm. right? And I had a really bad temper when I was a kid. My parents were always trying to moderate it because it just explode. And so – but the my way of doing that instead of learning how to, like, feel and process my emotions was to suppress them. Mm -hmm. But anger has a lot of information. That's where you find out what your boundaries are. And so 
you know, obviously avoid harming yourself or harming anyone else or making impulsive or rash decisions, but also try and sit in your feelings enough to understand what information is there and why your body is making you feel these things so that you can learn how to, again, be who you are or figure out how you want to exist in the world at that particular time. And ask yourself those questions ongoing. Like, yeah. you know, I have this idea that I'm going to start a new career every 10 years. That's a, I could see you doing that. <laughs> I could totally see you doing that. Manifest it, girl. Manifest it you know. here. <laughs> um, and I think part of that is because I'm someone who needs external changes in order to ask myself internally if I'm like a little checkup how are we doing yeah and the more I change my external circumstances the more primed I am to explore those questions internally and that's the process that works for me but I think it really starts with being open to the idea that you're a lot more malleable than you think and your personality is a lot more of a choice than than we think that's so true I've been living my life in three month chunks over the past I love this. Because yeah. I've noticed how much I change in three months. My interests change. I feel like I've evolved more and grow. I'm like, if that can happen in three months, we're just going to plan it in three months because if we try a year, we're going to be so different from then. Totally. And it's worked out so well. I love this. I know. This we're coming great. up our end three months, so we get to refresh it again. Yeah. <laughs> we get to figure out our new intentions, priorities, so I love it. That's great. Something that I'm very, very, very excited to chat with you about is this pivot in your career that you've had. Something I'm learning in school, they're kind of like, okay, we're going to teach you this. This is what you have to do the rest of your life and then get good at it and that's it. But frankly, there are so many things and I feel like I can, I feel sometimes trapped at school because I feel like, okay, this is the one thing I have to do, but no, Life can change and so can careers. And you did that. You went from politics to storytelling and created this incredible production company <laughs> that I have been very fortunate to intern for. And I love everything you guys are creating because it it feels like it's bigger than ourselves. Mm. And so I was wondering what that transition was like and what made you switch to this field. Well, first of all, thank you. And it's been such a pleasure to have you at Culture House. It's been so much fun. Yeah. Um, if you can't tell already it's like I'm very invested in this idea that we can all change and we all should change that's and that's really good for us I sort of you know I've wanted to work at the White House since I was 13 or 14 and then I get there I'm on my way out of the White House at 30. Yeah what do you do when your last two bosses are the president? You know what I mean? Where do you go from there? No it's true it's (laughs) like it's like my former boss like my former bosses are the Former president of the United States and, and the current, current president, president of the United States. Like, what do you do from here? No, just I'm ruined. Like, <laughs> I can't work. Can you imagine anyone telling me what to do? It's a nightmare. <laughs> it wasn't going to go well anyway. And that's why you start your own company. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It wasn't going to go well anyway. Um, my One of my former bosses from the White House told me I'm the worst employee he's ever had. <laughs> Because he kept referring to us as being colleagues. He was like, we are not colleagues. You work for me. <laughs> but, like, we work together, though. And I was like, but do I? Do are I? you sure it's not reversed a little bit? You know, <laughs> such a nightmare. Um, but, yeah, so I left the White House at 30 and realized I had no other hobbies or interests. What was that like? Oh, scary. It was awful. It was, I had a total meltdown. I had a total breakdown at 30. It was spectacular. Truly one of the best things that ever happened to me, but like, absolutely gut wrenching. (laughs) Oh, God. Wouldn't wish it, wouldn't wish wish it on an enemy and yet would wish it on everyone. Yeah. So I think the, the short answer is 
I don't know that's actually going to be that short. But I think two things were really happening for me at that moment in time. One was that I was exploring this idea of myself as a creative person. Two was that it was really clear that what we so much of what we were trying to accomplish in the Obama years were culturally ahead of where the country was. Mm. And in order to legislate or build policy around something, the idea for it really has to exist first in the kind of collective imagination of the country, right? We saw what happened with healthcare, whereas we didn't really have a framework. The general population did not have a framework for what universal healthcare could be. And so it was really easy to then manipulate that into something that was like about death panels and like all the other nonsense that Sarah Palin and and her cohort were kind of propagating at that time. So nice of them. So so useful. Thank <laughs> so you. So helpful to the American people. Good God. <laughs> but now that people have had it for four years or ten years or however long it's been, I can't match. Time isn't a thing anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah, time Don't a, even worry about it. Time is a construct. <laughs> it really is. Um, but now that people have had it, they're like religiously defending it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so whereas 40 percent or 35 percent of the country supported it prior to its enactment, now 60, 70, 80 percent does. And we see the same thing when it comes to things like marriage equality. Right. But marriage equality doesn't happen without Will and Grace, without Ellen DeGeneres, without Rosie O'Donnell, without the sort of so many cultural touchstones that helped introduce people and beloved kind of figures into this world or into the kind of popular consciousness of the Mm -hmm. country. And so when I was leaving the White House, it was really clear that that dynamic was at play around a range of issues, whether it was sustainability and and climate change, whether it was race relations, whether it was gender roles, gender norms, gender relations. We're still very much operating in a country that believes in a zero-sum game, right? That for black people to have rights and dignity, it has to be taken from white people. For women to have equality, opportunity, agency, authority, it has to be taken from men. It's not like we can all just coexist. (laughs) Which is, yeah, which is such an absurd way of thinking about. It's like as though freedom is a bicycle that you can just take. (laughs) Like, Like, wait, I lost lost a tire. I need one now. Yeah, (laughs) you know, like these are concepts. So, and the same around wealth, right? Those were all things that were really clear were being affected by the stories that we were telling in this country. Like the inevitable... Uh, the inevitable end result of John Wayne, one man, goes alone. He's doing it his way, and we're going to love him for it anyway. Like, the inevitable result of that story that we have told over and over and over and over again is Donald Trump. Yeah. Because he starts running for president. Everyone's like, oh, I like that guy. But it's because we've been watching him on TV, not only just him on TV, but that particular story he was telling feels familiar, right? It's the same. It's the plot of Top Gun. And I watched the hell out of Top Gun and, like, nearly wept a maverick. Like, I was (laughs) like, I love that this is a perfect movie. I was obsessed with that. Loved it. But it's the exact same thing. It's like one man goes alone on on a mission. (laughs) Right? But it's like the inevitable end result of those stories is total dysfunction. Yeah. Um, And so we have to tell different stories if we want different political outcomes. And I think I was starting to realize that as I was leaving the White House. And to me, it's not a coincidence. Yeah. And and it's not a coincidence to me that so many people from the Obama era, including the Obamas, have now gone into storytelling. Yeah. Because I think we're all sort of making that sort of understanding that the country needs a cultural scaffold in order to build meaningful kind of collective policy around um, 
some of these other ways of seeing the world. Yeah, so that's that's why I left. I was also really tired. <laughs> how okay, so I just have to know like once your job ended, how like what was your record of sleep? Like was there like oh. a total like you like a full 24 hours? Seriously. Has anyone I don't know. Have you read this book by Otessa Mosfi, My Year of Rest and Relaxation? No, but I need to now. Well, it's, it's super morbid. She's okay, this maybe fantastic. Not. She well, she's this fantastic fiction writer, but she's just dark. Mm. Uh, dark and perverse. But anyway, so this girl basically just like medicates herself and stays in bed for a year. Got it. So that was me, but without the drugs. Got um it. I You was, mentally did it to yourself. I, I mean, from for for the first eight months, I was probably asleep as much as I was awake. Like I probably slept 12, 13 hours a day. You're catching up. For yeah, for a solid half year. Um and I didn't really work. I took um which I encourage everyone to do and no one really seems to take me up as much as they should. Hmm. Um just to not work. <laughs> And so I just didn't work for, like, eight months. What was that like? Was that nice? It was amazing. I went to, like, everything people invited me to. And it was one of those things. It was like, do not invite me to your grandma's house in Sicily because I I will show up. (laughs) I am looking at plane tickets right now. I love grandmas. I love Sicily. Like, let's roll. It's like my life motto right now. Fuck it. Why not? Exactly. Yeah. Um, So I – yeah, I had a fuck it, why not year. Mm -hmm. And – (laughs) but – It was a sleepy one. I was asleep for a very uh, for most for of, half it. of it. Yeah. But that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then moved up to New York. Ended up meeting my business partners, who th- the women who then became my business partners. Um, and and we started Culture House. And now I'm in LA, and you know, still doing my best. I want to talk about hair tales for mm-hmm. a second because I think the messaging of this show is so important, and I think the casting and the way it's filmed, the aesthetic of it is just so on point and just so perfect. And I just have to know, what was it like working with Oprah? It's wild. I what mean, was that like? You know, you've done the, you've done the presidents, you've done <laughs> Oprah, what's next? Basically the same. <laughs> it's ba- it was basically the same. Practically the same. same. Um, I mean, talk about people who are in their pocket. Right, and no one can see my hand gesture right yeah, now. Yeah, but there's but a hand there's gesture. There's a hand gesture that is illustrating what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But you know, Oprah, and she'll say it. Miss Winfrey will say, you know, she's living in her purpose. Like she found her, like she found the zone, the portal through which she makes all of her decisions and all of her actions are in integrity with her purpose, and that's why it all works. And it works so extraordinarily well. And you feel that. You feel in the same way that we all pick up on all sorts of things about each other. Yeah, there's a real magnetism to her. And there's a real sense of like, oh, she is in integrity. Like she does what she says. She says what she means. She is a consistent and confidently consistent human being who even in sort of micro moments and micro movements is hyper present. Like she That's is showing so up beautiful. fully to whatever is happening in that moment, which I think, and Tracy's the same way. I mean, Tracy's an extraordinarily embodied and present mm. person. When she is in front of you, she is in front of you, and all of her is there, and she's not thinking about what she could be doing instead, or does she, how does she look, or how does she think the other person thinks she looks. I mean, all we all have those things, but. When she taps in, she becomes an extraordinarily powerful person, and 
not to say that she's not powerful all the time, but it's really impressive. Like people who have figured out how to do that are extraordinary to be around. And I think it is the thing that defines their greatness, right? It's yeah. their ability to step into whatever it is. The present. The energy or the life force or their own sort of potential. And it just radiates off them. I just started her book, What I Know For Sure. So mm. I'm excited to get into it because I'm like halfway through her book, uh, What Happened To You with Dr. Perry. Yeah. Um, so I feel like I'm just infusing my brain with Oprah right now. So I feel like I'm in a great place. So totally. <laughs> I've read that. I've read What I Know For Sure. It's extraordinary. And it's like she talks about th- this concept a lot in her book. And you're, she sort of like describes very clearly what it is she's doing. And it's like, but how, girl? <laughs> how? Can I just say the environment that you've created for this production company has been so refreshing. I, even though it's just been online, I have felt more inspired, more creative, and more like I want to make an impact than I have in school in the past year and a half. Oh, thank you so much. I think it's so important that there's, we're talking about how much our culture affects society because it truly does. From your growing up series, like you're truly highlighting the good, the bad, and the ugly, which is, I think, what we need. Help people feel less alone. Like, that's totally all we can do. If nothing else, just tell the truth. Straight up. Let's be real. You know, exactly. <laughs> if you can give someone nothing else, just give them the truth. Give them honesty. It's just, it's so basic, and yet it is so undervalued and underprized in our community and in, in the world and in our society. Um, and it's just, you, you cannot be free without the truth. Are you feeling creatively fulfilled right now? I am. I think I, um, I think that I am taking a very, um, what's the word, broad interpretation of creative, mm. creativity, and I try and... Don't limit yourself. You know what I mean? Uh, I agree. Um, and so I am trying to live a creative life, and I don't mean that sort of in an artistic practice sense, although I do have a writing practice and I obviously make film and TV, but it's also like I went on a walk on the beach this morning. I go surfing a lot. I go on hikes. I try and I was walking down the street and saw – I was watching the sunset last night and like a man came by and gave me a big thumbs up. Oh, the like, little things. You know, I saw this like wild looking man in a captain's hat that made me just chuckle. Like all these wonderful things that happen if you're open to them – not even just synchronicities, but just but humans are hilarious. They're so funny. And all <laughs> like so much good stuff is happening on your block right now. People if you're don't willing people to watch, watch anymore. it, you know? <laughs> Whatever happened to the art of people watching, you honestly. Know? It's just I will go on campus and I will just or sometimes if even if I'm at a party, I'll just sit just to watch what I'm like. It's yeah. just so interesting seeing other humans <laughs> interact know? together. Um or, like, I like to camp. I'm a big camper, and so... See, um, I want to go camping. I've never been before. Ever? I've never... From the city. You're such a city kid. I'm such right. a city. It's so unfortunate. Yeah. So now I'm like, oh, I need to go. I need to make up for everything yeah. that I wasn't able to do. Well, you're so in a great spot. I mean, California is such extraordinary camping. So I went on a big road trip over the summer and did it by myself. I'd not, I had not camped by myself before. And so I camped by myself for a couple weeks. A couple the, of weeks by yeah. yourself? What was that like? It was awesome. It was so good. So I went mm. all around the Southwest and California and Arizona, Utah, Nevada, 
and saw. See, that's so inspiring. I went to Paris by myself this summer. Amazing. I was really, like, for me, the summer was really trying to see how much can we grow and mm. how much can we evolve. And so I've just been trying to do more things by myself, whether that's taking myself out on dates or, like, doing yeah. things like that. And so, like, the, like, that's, like, going camping, like, that's, like, so impressive to me that you can do that. And that's, like, a goal I want to hit one day. Well, it took me 36 years. Like, But I'm, you're there. Yeah, but, yeah, but I'm here. Um, and it was one of the most rewarding things I've ever done for myself. Um, and I'm a big believer in taking care of Carrie. <laughs> like, I'd, I'd pamper her as best I so can. So how do – what is self-care for you? Self-care is entirely and fulsomely and enthusiastically re re rejecting the idea of being busy. I am not busy. I don't ever try to be busy. I have no aspirations to be busy. I want to move as slowly as humanly Just possible. Just crawl throughout Just, the day. <laughs> I mean, like, ambling. <laughs> Just taking my sweet time. Mm. Um, I think it is knowing what, at that moment in time, my five needs for happiness always are. I'm always kind of checking in on that list. Ooh. So I need to be in nature. I need to have community. I need to write. Um, I need to be of service. Mm -hmm. And um, I need love, right? And so all if I'm meeting each of those things, and, and those also have a bright, uh, a broad term, but if I'm meeting those things on each given day, I'm going to have a spectacular day, right? If I like, those are the things that I am prioritizing. Um, self care is also for me about embracing mediocrity. Like, there's there's really like three things I need to be good at. I need to be a good family member. I need to be a good friend, and I need to keep a roof over my head. <laughs> and outside of those three, th and I need to be good to myself. So four things that I need to be really good at. Don't have to be good at anything else, really. And so I take all the pressure off myself to be good at anything else. I love making good film and TV. I love being a good writer. I love uh, being a good surfer. I love being good at tennis. If I'm not good at any of those things, it doesn't actually matter. When I'm on my deathbed, I'm not going to be like, man, <laughs> wish I were good <laughs> better tennis at game. tennis. <laughs> you know, that recreational game I played of doubles in 2000, you know. Who cares? Um, I'll be I'll be die happy if I was good to my sister and good to my nephews and good to my parents and good to my friends and good to my partners and good to you know um, the world and my community and that's enough for me um, and I lived the life that I really actually wanted to live yeah and, and you're doing so, it for you yeah you know. Um, and so, I, so embracing mediocrity is a way that I take care of my. Like I'm so bad at tennis, it's amazing. Oh, I I joined a tap class this semester. I <sighs> don't dance. I don't dance. Um, I it love is, that. And uh, here's the thing. I thought like, okay, it's probably a beginner class. No, there's no <laughs> beginner class. It's with dance majors who have tapped since they were two. And I'm like, okay, at least it's doing something uncomfortable. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it pushes me out there. Um, and it's an experience. Totally. Really? That's amazing, right? Are you doing any hobbies or wanting to pursue anything that you're like, ooh, I want to get into that? Yeah, so I tango dance. <gasps> I How's um, tango? Tango's amazing. Tango's so sexy. Oh, um, that like, and it's so not salsa, so you're not like moving all this, you're not moving around super fast. Um, tango. Maybe that is, should it, be my next dance I pick up. It's like, <laughs> it's super old like it's like there it's tap like, is pretty old too yeah but it's it's rad I, I don't mean even as a practice i just mean like as a community like really yeah that's so much fun though. but it's really great it's does really it great. just make you feel good about yourself too because yeah. you're like the youngest one there yeah <laughs> 
totally. Um, so like tango, tennis. I play tennis once the a tees. week. The tees. Yep. Mm-hmm. Surfing. Nice. Um, I'm a big gardener. Yeah, I love to garden. What do you like to garden? Um, like flowers, fruits and vegetables, all sorts of stuff. I think gardening is extraordinarily important for everyone. Like everyone should be required to grow it something. It seems so calming. And not even that. It's just like, yes, it is so calming. Mm-hmm. And it is a practice of delayed gratification. In a world in which you could have a new boyfriend every hour of the day, in a world in which you can order something online and reasonably expect that it be at Amazon your house Prime. within hours, yeah. like you should have to wait for things. Waiting for things is important for human brains, and it is a good thing. And so, having like waiting for your flower to bloom, waiting for your flower to grow, is a spectacular practice. That's how I kind of feel with oil painting because it takes so long to dry. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like, okay, you know, I don't know what I'm, it's going to be, but we're doing it for – Love we're it. We're doing it. Yeah. And that's what matters. Exactly. You know, it's like we're, we're constantly rushing and it's we're missing a lot of things when we rush. I think about how many sunsets and sunrises, like there are two, like we miss a day that I'm just like I don't even see them. Yeah. They're just there and they're so yeah. beautiful. I live a block from the water. And so sunset is always so spectacular, oh. and it's like the days that I miss it, I better have a really good excuse. If I was just in my house, like <laughs> looking the just wrong on my direction, <laughs> like the self-loathing. If I, I was just on Twitter, no, exactly, <laughs> just like horrific, absolutely ridiculous. Um, I try and go and see it every day that I'm home at that hour. So what's next for you? What's next for Culture House? What's keeping you fulfilled? What's in the works that's making you excited about? You know, to your point around, and and I, it really means so much for to hear. It means so much to me to hear that your experience at Culture House Truly. has been what we built the company for. I mean, if it doesn't feel like making art with your friends, why are we doing it? Um, I've learned I've, so much. Oh, I love that. And I love yeah. that. Yeah. You know, it's it's like if I want to be stressed out and and make life or death decisions at work, I'd be a surgeon or I'd go back to the White House. <laughs> like <laughs> I'm not I'm making television and film and it should feel like it, right? I would, like we had do Dule Hill on my podcast and he told me something that it's really helped. He goes, "At the end of the day, we're just playing pretend. It can be as serious as it is. It can be as deep, but at the end of the day, we're just playing pretend." And I'm like, "You know what? You know? That's so true." <laughs> Totally. And losing sight of that is so wild. So when I see people like tie themselves in knots, I'm sort of just like, you should have to go work in an ER for a couple days and then come back. Right. And then appreciate where you are. Because like, this is getting a little out of control. Um, But and again, and this really actually goes back to what I was saying about how people can start their journey into activism. Like if it doesn't feel good in the smallest possible circle, if working at Culture House or working with Culture House doesn't feel good, I don't care what the show is. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care if the show is good. It's about the environment that you create. Exactly. And if it didn't feel good to make it, like the ends does not justify the means for me mm-hmm. in basically anything. Like it would take a lot to convince me of, an, of a situation where the ends should justify the means. And it certainly won't just uh, – certainly un – acceptable in making TV. Like there's just, <laughs> there's, it, 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 no. Um, and so, 
you know, I think we take a lot of care and we take a lot of pride in the fact that we've built the company on our terms and the way that we want with the values that we have. And hopefully that shows up on screen. We also want to be really good at it. I mean, who wants to be like mediocre at their job, right? No. Like my name's going to be on it. No one watches me play tennis. It's going like, to be so <laughs> like it's just it's already so good that I'm like that's not even like a doubt in my mind. I just know it's just going to be so yeah. Good. And so I think for me, I'm just Culture House is really exciting because we're just talking about cool stuff that all has a pulse, that all has a purpose, you know, and it's really interesting. One of the criteria for what projects we take on or what projects we decide to put forward is like, do I want to talk about this for three years? Is this interesting enough to really want to talk about it for three years? And is the team going to be people I want to work with for two years or for three years and talk to almost every day for that long of time? I think something I've really learned is how much development is like a baby and you really have to nurture it and really have to flush it out so much. I feel like I've just gotten so much from it. I'm so glad to have worked for it, be a part of it in any way because I do think you guys are making some incredible stuff that can actually really affect the trajectory of the way we view our society. Oh, thanks, man. That's so nice. Of course. We have to take one more quick break, but when we come back, I'm going to talk about where you get your confidence from, both personally and professionally, and much more. We'll be right back. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, 
it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry she would probably have sex with one of her clients hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts And we're back. What advice do you have for confidence? Because I would love to exude your confidence. That's a goal of mine, I've decided. <laughs> um, so you know how we pick up personality traits? I've exactly. decided that's something I Just want to, yeah. Listen, put it on like a sweater, girl, and live your life. Fake it till you make it. Um, it I mean, it, but it actually is a choice. I actually really remember I grew up and, and was sort of, was very much outside of the beauty norms of where I grew up. But I remember and like feeling very unattractive and feeling very ugly. And I remember when I was 13, just like having one of those sort of divine inspiration moments where I was like, I'm actually not going to believe that about myself. Yeah. I'm beautiful. And I'm that's what I'm going to believe. And I don't know where that came from, but it just sort of had one of those moments. And I've tried, I've like held on like with a death grip to that since I was a kid. But I think a few things. I think... Confidence is not only external, of course, but it's internal. And I think the internal piece is is the most important because you mm -hmm. are going to look different. You are there's and everyone has their own perception of what beauty is. And too. everyone's hot. Like literally, give me I could find something hot about anyone. Absolutely. If you look long enough, if you're open enough, you can absolutely. I mean, just smoke shows <laughs> everywhere. All, everywhere. Um, and so. So I think the more you appreciate other people's beauty, the more you'll appreciate your own, the more you take yourself out of any kind of competition mm. <laughs> with anyone, the more the happier you will be. Um, and then on the internal piece, I think for me, it's also like the world is bullshit. Like no one has any idea what the fuck is going on. They really I don't, don't know what the hell's going on. You don't know. Like no one knows what the We're hell. We're just getting Everyone's through just the day. Trying, <laughs> yeah. You know? And so why not you? Like, you're the one. Why not you? You're that's, here. That's what my dad says. He goes, it could be anyone. Why not you? Exactly. Like, yeah. You're you're the one doing it. I actually got into a little bit of an argument with a friend. Um, we He and I were walking around some art galleries, and he couldn't really draw the distinction between something, whether or not he liked something, whether or not a piece of art was his style mm. versus whether or not it should have been made. Whoa. And I was like, okay, I don't particularly aesthetically care for this painting, but you look at the technique, you look at how you it can was appreciate made. It objectively. I, like the fact that they made it, you know, is extraordinary. And he's like, eh, I mean, I could have made that. And I was like, but you didn't. <laughs> you didn't. 
that is the thing that actually makes the difference. You can have the best ideas in the world. If you don't do it, it doesn't matter. People have – people – it's all talk, no action a lot exactly. of the time until you do it. And so the more you just do shit – And that's the way you learn. The more you build confidence and the more you're like, I'm the dude. It's me. Why not me? Right? Because you back yourself. We all have to bet on ourselves at some point. And so I think we're really trained to bet on other people. Like, oh, well, she's so beautiful. Or, oh, she's so tall. Or, oh, she has this or that. But, like, bet on yourself. You, you can't live anyone else's life. You can yeah. only live yours. And so what are you – how are you going to invest in yourself? How are you going to do the thing? Get over being embarrassed. Life is deeply embarrassing. It, it really is just a humil- – if you're doing it right, it is a humiliating experience, you know? But that's what it's – you know, it's just part of the deal. Like, get over it. Just keep moving. Keep trying. kind of got to embrace it. Be comfortable with the uncomfortable. That's what I've been really trying to embrace this semester. Totally. And I think that is a practice. Mm-hmm. And I think the more you practice that, the more confident you get. And I think I am absolutely willing to be the best. I'm also absolutely willing to be the worst. I am willing to humiliate myself. I'm willing to start over. I'm willing to be everything in between. Yeah. And I think that willingness is what you pick up on when you've when you um, sense confidence in me, because I'll be okay. I'll yeah. figure it out. Because even if you fall, you're going to get back up, and exactly. that's all you know that. Exactly. Like, it'll be fine. It's just, it's the ingraining part is what I need to work on. Yeah. But I have a head start on you. you know? <laughs> I don't know how old you, How old are you? 20. Oh, girl. Yeah, I've got 60. I've got, like, a full-ass <laughs> human being on you. You've got, got a full six, teenager on yeah, me. Yeah, i got 16 years on you, you know? Is there Are there any other future people you'd like to work with that you want to manifest out into existence? No. Um, there are certainly I, – I, I do my best not to project onto people I don't know. Mm. So my perception of what they are could be wildly inaccurate. So I could be like, oh, I want to manifest working with this person or that person. And then that person – is garbage, right? And Maybe they're terrible manifest, to work. It's a good experience, <laughs> right? Right, but they could be terrible to work with, or they could be um, fine, but not spectacular. Not and then you you're want. let down. So I think it's hard to, and I think we do enough as a society of projecting onto people in um, that live in live in the public in a certain way, or that have public lives in a certain way, in a way that I think is actually kind of unhealthy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, deeply unhealthy. Very and so much. I try not to do that too much. The, the people who I'm supposed to be working with, I'll work with, you know, and we'll meet and it'll have purpose or it won't or whatever. But yeah, I try not to... Um, I try not to look at people and just be like, ooh, and invest in them in that way because I don't know. I don't actually know them. Hey, at least you can vouch for Oprah. At least you can vouch right? for Oprah. That's a big one. Yeah, yeah. No, I've done pretty well. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> what is happening right now? Um, who let me in this room? This makes absolutely no sense, but let's do it. Let's do but, it, you know? Fuck it, why not? Fuck it, why not? <laughs> it's so funny. My So my older sister, the um, brilliant genius creative artist, um, she – was the production designer for Hair, Hair Tales. Oh, my goodness. And it was her, and she also is just like, she's she's even five years older than me. So if you can imagine my confidence plus five years. So she, we had this one particularly complicated, and it was her first production design job. And we had this one really complicated shoot, and she came up to me and was like, listen, 
So we're at the end of the road of my uh, confidence. I have no idea what I'm doing. We're going to need some help in here. <laughs> Fair. So yeah. we are at the end of the road of my confidence uh, carrying me to the finish line. She's like, nope, not going to make it this time. Um, we're going to need a ringer. Going to need some help. Going to need an actual expert. <laughs> you know what? The fact that she was able to vocalize it be like, this exactly. is where it ends. Exactly. Before it was too late. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's, that's, that's all awesome. that matters. That's <laughs> all that matters. Timing is everything. Thing. True. Um, hey, it all worked out. Exactly. So it cracked me up. I was just like, dude, the twigs are out here just making shit up left and right. It's amazing. I love how once you cursed, I then just went so aggressively into gotta, it because I didn't know if I could. You gotta fucking go for you it. You know? And <laughs> you now it's just like, it. fuck it. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I don't know why I told that story other than no, the fact that it's funny it, and my sister is amazing. I think it's super interesting. I'm also super interested in production design as of recent because it's it just builds the aesthetic. So, like, I learned a bunch of other shit in college. Like, I didn't learn any of this stuff. I didn't go to film school. I didn't, like, take – I don't think I took a single – What was your major? Um, I triple majored. Stop. Because I'm, I'm a total <laughs> fucking nerd. Uh, in political science, history, and communications. Any minor? No. I don't think you need a minor for yeah, that. Yeah, I was going to minor in communications, but then I ended up taking extra classes, and so I became a major. Yeah. Hey, it works. You know. Um, but I actually have uh, very bad self-discipline. Really? Yeah. So when I went to college, I was like, oh, I only have to be here for like four hours a week. <laughs> you look so I'm done. <laughs> You're like, I'm done. <laughs> um, and so I had terrible grades my first quarters. I was on uh, – OSU used to be on quarters. Absolutely terrible grades. And so then I went and talked to the – guidance counselor or whatever they're called in college and convince them to let me like triple my course load so that I would be in class from 9 a.m. until 3 p.m. every Monday through Thursday because I was like if you let me step off campus I am not coming back the fact that you know that yourself so (laughs) she's just not here anymore To be seen stumbling home at 2 o'clock in the morning. Like, baby's out. So I actually needed that. Like, I needed to be overwhelmed. I needed to be structured. Um, To this day, I, like, still date people who are very uptight and structured and disciplined because I just need it. Like, I just – I need structure because leave me alone. I'm just like, whoop. No, I feel like I'll need a day an extrovert because I can't be pulling someone else out. We're you know, pulling ourselves out uh, of it. Right, right. <laughs> totally. Um, so, yeah, that's like the one through line of all the people I've ever dated has been that they are like actual, you know, hardcore. Like you get up at eight and then we do this and then we do this because otherwise I'm do you sort have a of type? Like, it'll be fine. Um, or is it more of like an intellectual thing? I mean, my type would be, I mean, smart, mm. funny. Um, generous and kind. I cannot tolerate people who are not. Um, I have I have absolutely zero tolerance for people who are unkind, um, and even discourteous. Right, like people who don't say thank you or open doors for people behind yeah. them or take up two seats on the bus. I'm just like, what's the matter with you? You share. Yeah, <laughs> you share this world <laughs> with other human Public beings. Public transportation guys. Yeah. Um. Uh, and then I really am drawn to people who are very disciplined and very structured, and um, that helps me. I, I love a, I love a routine, but I've never successfully kept one independently. 
<laughs> love the idea of one. I love the idea of one, but mm. like who knows when she's waking up? Who knows what order I'm going to do anything in? Like generally I get everything done, but like I brushed my teeth at 3 p.m. yesterday. But you know what? At least you're getting it done. Exactly. And that's what, as long as you're doing it, that's you what know? matters. And then I went to brush my teeth this morning and my toothbrush was downstairs at the kitchen sink. <laughs> like just like childish, like I'll walk into my house sometimes and just be like, who did this? <laughs> And I live alone, so I did it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking yeah. the time. This was it just made my day, and I feel very inspired. Uh, thank you so much. You asked such spectacular questions, and I love your podcast. I'm really honored that you even asked me to my do goodness, it. My goodness, I'm honored you're on this season. <laughs> it's season four. It's got it. We've got to deliver. So good for you. I appreciate you so much. So great. So happy for you. Yay. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app and Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts 